So this is the last part of the series, uh, Elephant in the Room, and I want to talk about race this weekend. Uh, my premise for this whole series has been this. I believe that we're at a place in our American culture where we have the greatest opportunity to shine the light of the gospel in a lot of different ways. And I believe that dealing with people uh, who differ from us it, with dignity and respect, uh, with civility and tolerance and humility could incredibly re- reflect the gospel that we believe. Uh, however, I don't believe we're doing such a good job at, uh, at it. And I think that we can do better. The good news is, sort of, there's always good news and bad news, right? The good news is as our world gets darker, the light of the gospel can get brighter. So that's the good news. The question is, will it and how will it do that? On January 1st, 1863, Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, which changed the federal legal status for about three million enslaved people in designated areas of the South. And it set it helped the slave to be free. In January, on January, a uh, hundred years later, in August 28th, that was about 50 years that same year, uh, 50 years, 1963, Martin Luther King Jr. delivered his I Have a Dream message speech to a massive group of civil rights marchers gathered around Lincoln's memorial. So Lincoln signs the Emancipation Proclamation. A hundred years later, um, Dr. Martin Luther King at the memorial gives his emancipation or his uh, his uh, his uh, I have a dream speech. And uh, many, many civil rights marchers were gathered there in Washington, D.C. Now we're 50 years later, 50 years later than that. And, And in America, it seems as though we really haven't made a whole lot of progress. As we look at our culture, it seems like. We, in some ways we have, but in a lot of ways we haven't. And so I don't really have an answer for our culture, but I do have an answer for those of us that call us, ourselves Christ followers. That, that, that there needs to be a different way to do this. And, and the Bible calls us to build relationships with other believers and others across traditional cultural barriers as a sign of his coming kingdom. Um, we are to follow the instructions the Apostle Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians 12.25, that we are to accept one another as Christ accepts us. That's really the, the bottom line. So the idea that I want to share this weekend is this, that racism uh, is never acceptable for the follower of Jesus Christ. Racism is never acceptable. And you say, well, I already know that. Well, yeah, but, but we need to talk about that. And what I want to do is I want to give you two reasons that I think are super powerful reasons why when there's racism going on, something has gone wrong in our understanding. Something has gone wrong in our understanding. And so the first thing is racism fails at when we fail to see the Racism happens when we fail to see the image of God in others. Racism shows up when we fail to see the image of God in others. Uh, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, I'll read those. You can turn to there if you want. But this is really an incredibly important passage of Scripture. And notice what it says. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. There's a couple things there that I just want to reflect upon. Number one, who's God talking to? 
let us make God in our image. Some say, well, that's just a plurality of the, the word, but it's not. It's, it's, it's more than that. What's going on here is, and he's not talking to angels. He's not saying, you know, angels, hey, woman, we'll because angels aren't created in the image of God. What he's talking about is, he's talking to the other two members of the Trinity. Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. And notice what he says. They will reign over the fish uh, in the sea, the birds in the sky, and the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, all the small animals that scurry along the ground. And then it says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So there's a couple of things there. Number one, it says that God created us, he created us. And number two, that he created us in his image. So the image of God is stamped on every person that's ever been born, that's ever walked on this earth. The image of God. They carry the image of God. Now, is it a fallen image? Yes. Is it, a, is it an imperfect image? Yes. But it's still the image of God. And um, man is the only part of creation, as you read through Genesis, that is made in the image of God. The other thing, too, is when you look at the New Testament in Galatians chapter 2, Paul says that we are God's masterpiece, that he's doing a masterpiece work in us. And so uh, there's a point where each person is valuable to God and deserves to be treated with dignity and respect. Imagine this. Imagine going to an art gallery or we have actually have our own art gallery here. So let's go to our own art gallery. So. Um, the young lady that, that created this painting, uh, Leah, uh, she did a great job, I thought. But let's just say that, that I decided to criticize that art and say, you know, it's not very good. The talent of the artist isn't very, you know, detailed and there's a lot of flaws in it. And, and I began to critique the, the art, the piece of art. Uh, you, you would, you would, if you saw Leah putting this on and doing this, you would go, I don't think that's very good. That's not a good idea. Why would you critique? You know, I mean, it's obviously you like it, but but to make statements about that person, you're critiquing, you're crit- not just critiquing their art, you're critiquing that person. So when you, you make a comment about a person because of their race, because of their physical looks or whatever, you're basically critiquing the artist, the creator, the one who made him made them in his image. Or let me give you another one. We don't have any today. But this weekend, we're doing um, baby dedications. And uh, we usually do that towards the end of the service. And can you imagine if if the parents bring their brand new baby up? And let's just say, let's just have a little fun. It's their first baby. And of course, first babies are always the most fun. Because after you've had one or two, it's like, yeah, whatever, get, get in line. <laughs> but, but it's their first baby and it's the pre, it's precious. It's like, you know, it guarded, this baby is guarded like Fort Knox, you know. And they bring this little baby up and there's a part in the service where I like to take the child and hold the child and pray for the child. Pray for the parents, but we pray for the child. But what if I were to pray and I would go, ooh, like that. And, 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 and all of a sudden I'd say, you know, that baby has like a big nose on it. And they would say, Matt, have you looked in the mirror lately? And, <laughs> but, but, but can you imagine, you know, and, and those parents would go, you know, how dare you criticize, you know, and they would be upset and rightly so. And you would never do that. And yet here's what we do when we look at another person. 
And we look at it, they have a different color of skin or they're, they're just different looking than us. And we criticize them based upon how they look. We're basically saying to the artist, you made a mistake here. You really didn't do very well there. Was that a bad day? End of the month? What was going on there? I don't think we really want to do that. You see, racism is questioning God's creation. When you insult the person based upon the color of their skin or some other physical characteristics, you're insulting the Creator. We understand that we live in a world that routinely, routinely rejects people because of their ethnicity or their skin color. But that's not okay for a Christ follower. It's never okay for a Christ follower to do that. I remember growing up, I had a relative. And uh, I remember going over to their house on, you know, usually Christmas Eve and other occasions like that, sometimes for a picnic. And I remember he dropped an F-bomb, you know, an N-bomb, and just, you know, this, that, you know, and, you know, just, just deriding people, African-American people. And it just was, like, awful. I mean, it just, like, it got to the point where I just said, I, I don't want to be here anymore. It, it troubled me. And I remember my mom driving home and going home and my mom and dad in the car and my mom saying, you know, don't use that. Don't talk that way. That's disrespectful. And part of me now reflects and I'm going, so why don't you say that to him? Why don't you say that then? And, and I just felt like it was so demeaning. And it had nothing to do with the person's character. It had everything to do with just the color of their skin. And I just, from a very early age, thought, that just isn't right. That just isn't right. You see, racism fails to see the image of God in everyone. No matter what race, what creed, what color of, of skin, or, or even gender, when we, base, we, we judge people. But racism is... is is not understanding the image of God. Let me give you a second reason why I think that for a follower of Jesus Christ, racism is, is never okay. Racism fails to understand the truth of the gospel. So turn over to Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. And it's on, if you don't have a Bible, we have these chair Bibles, page uh, 893. This is a really interesting passage. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Um, I want to read through it. It's a rather lengthy passage, but I think it'll be worth our time. It's always worth our time when we're reading through God's Word. Uh, Galatians 2.11, page 893. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with Gentile Christians who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish Christians followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, Since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, 
Why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be able to be right with God because of faith in Christ, not because we obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Now, what's going on here? Let me explain what's going on here. The early church really struggled with what to do with Gentiles. So you had the Jews, and then you have everyone else who's not a Jew, and they're Gentiles. So most of us are Gentiles today, unless you're a Jew. And so the question was for the early church, because the early church began in Acts 2, where Peter preaches the sermon, and, and mostly to a Jewish crowd, and he basically says to them, the Messiah's come, and his name was Jesus, and you crucified him. And it said they were pierced in their hearts, and then they said, what should we do? And they, he said, repent and be baptized, or repent and turn to Jesus, essentially, is what he was saying. And it says about 3,000 people that day repented and gave their hearts and lives to Jesus. All right. So that's the beginning of the church. The question is, as you go through the book of Acts, what do we do with the Gentiles? What do we do with the Gentiles? And they actually came to a place in Acts 15 where they, they kind of came to a conclusion that the Gentiles, yes, are part of the early, are part of the church. They didn't even get that. But they, they finally got to the point where they, they understood the Gentiles are part of the church, Jew and Gentile together. Now, what's going on here is, and the other thing that happened through, and so Peter is at this uh, Jerusalem council in Acts 15, and he's one of the leaders. James, uh, the brother of Jesus, is, is one of the leaders. Um, and they come to a place where they understand kind of what, the, what how, how are they going to deal with Gentiles? Are they in or are they out? Do they need to be circumcised? All these other things. But through that time and through Peter's life, Peter has this uh, vision. And basically God begins to, to uh, lower unclean food and peter says no lord and and the lord says eat peter and the point he was trying to make was what used to be unclean is now clean the gentiles that used to be unacceptable they're acceptable the gentiles are in that's essentially what it came down to so peter peter understood that lesson that god was saying the gentiles are in and they don't have to be circumcised they don't have to go through, jump through any special hoops. There's no two-tier. The Jews are the higher tier. The Gentiles are the lower. We're both equal in Christ. There's neither Jew or Greek, Gentile. There's neither male or female. They're free, they we're equal in Christ uh, because, of, uh, the, because Jesus died on the cross for all of us. And, and so Peter is um, understanding this, but he's not. So what's going on and what, what uh, Paul's referring to where he had to confront Peter face-to-face is, uh, Peter is eating and drinking, having meals with Gentiles, which is not a problem. Jesus says it's not a problem. Okay, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, some some uh, men come down from Jerusalem. They're friends of James, and they tend to be a little bit more legalistic. They're not understanding the gospel, and they uh, so Peter knows they, knows this about them. So he begins to eat with them, and he stops eating with the Gentiles. In other words, he doesn't want to be seen with the Gentiles. He doesn't want to have anything to do with the Gentiles. And basically, Paul noticed this, and he called them out. He says, wait a minute, time out. You were eating and drinking with the Gentiles. Now the Jews come down. All of a sudden, you're, you're, you're going back to the old way. You're, you're, you're being a, you know what he's saying to Peter? You're being a racist. 
You're being a racist. You're sinning. So Peter's example, experience in, in, in Acts 2, 10 and 11, showed him that because of the gr- salvation was by grace alone, anyone, regardless of race and culture, is equally lost um, in sins and equally loved by Christ. Peter knew this fact, but he refused to eat with the Gentiles. So then Paul calls him to the carpet. In other words, he was treating the Gentile brothers and sisters as second-class citizens. And, and Paul uses a phrase that's interesting in that. He says if Peter was not acting in accordance with the gospel. He was not getting the gospel right. He was, he was not applying the gospel correctly. He was a racist and a hypocrite. But most of all, Peter was a sinner and he was sinning. Now, why did, people act, or why did Peter act this way? Well, it tells us in the text he was afraid of the circumcision of these the criticism from these people. Peter was afraid of these uh, these uh, friends of James who were coming down. He was afraid that he was going to be criticized by them, and so he decided to uh, to fudge on the gospel. Peter was allowing the cultural differences and race to become more important than gospel unity. He was being a racist. It got so bad. It says in the text, it got so bad that even Barnabas was drawn into this. Barnabas was showing favoritism. He was no longer uh, friends with Gentiles and eating with Gentiles. He would, would only eat with the, with the Jewish audience. The, the point is, uh, they had both misapplied the gospel. Peter was sinning. What was his sin? Well, he was saying, essentially by his actions, he was saying, we really can't please God unless we follow the Jewish, uh, become Jewish, which the Gentiles can't. So it excluded them from the gospel. And essentially that's what Peter's actions were saying. Peter had become a legalist. And a legalist is somebody who teaches that you must do something to be acceptable to God. By the way, most churches in this community teach some form of legalism. They say if you go to church, if you believe this, if you do this, if you follow these patterns that we have, then one day God will accept you. He'll look at your resume and say, you did a great job, you're in. That's legalism. That's not grace and it's not the gospel. Uh, the Apostle Paul, though, took Peter to task for his sin. Now, it's interesting, and one of the interesting things of this passage is this. Uh, many people, uh, there's a whole tradition that sees Peter as the first pope, which is quite interesting because as you read through the, the, the book of Galatians, Paul talks about the, the pillars of the church. He calls Peter one of the pillars, probably James is one of the pillars. So there's a number of pillars of the church Peter is one of them, but he's not the one. He's not the only one. He's not the go-to guy. Now, was Peter an important leader in the early church? Absolutely. But he wasn't the most important. And uh, it's very interesting that you see that. You see the Apostle Paul taking Peter to task and saying to Peter, you're sinning. Your behavior is, is, is not in line with the gospel. So it's very interesting as you see the early church just trying to develop and figure the gospel out. How is it going to be applied and what does it mean? What are the implications? And Peter got it wrong. You know, some people think, well, after, you know, after Jesus anointed him and, and Peter went out and preached in Acts 2, he never made a mistake. Well, he did. <laughs> he did. And so did Paul. And you see, and the, the interesting thing is that these people weren't saints in a sense of these holy, never make a sin, never make a mistake. They sinned, and they made mistakes, and Peter made mistakes. The good thing is that Peter repented. You know, here's the thing I'm I'm trying to hopefully communicate. 
See, we don't need a seminar, seminar. We don't need a workshop. We don't need sensitivity sessions. We need what we need is the word of God. Because racism is a sin. But, you know, I, I mean, we, we don't need a weekend retreat. We don't need to read a book on it. We just need to understand what it is. I mean, if you're stealing, if you're tell, not telling the truth, if you're unfaithful, you don't need to go to a seminar. Right? That's not what you need. You need to stop doing what you're doing. You need to stop stealing. You need to stop lying. And you need to stop sleeping with that person that's not your, 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 your husband or wife. As simple as that. You don't, you don't need a lot of help with that. You need to repent. <laughs> that's what you need to do. And so Peter didn't need to go to sensitivity training or whatever. What he needed to do was repent. He needed to, to keep in line with the gospel. Now, how do sometimes people justify racism? And I'm speaking more towards people who say, well, I'm a Christian. Here's what we tend to do. Now, I'm going to border on heresy here. Some of you are going to get upset by what I'm going to say in a minute. And you're going to say, you're not American. No American would ever say that. Well, that's the heresy I'm going to border on. So I'm, I'm warning you for you so you can prepare yourself. And have holy indignation towards me in a minute, okay? Here's what can happen. We can come to see our culture as superior to other cultures. We can have an attitude, uh, we can attribute to our race, to our culture, a certain level of pride that spills over becoming judgmental of other cultures. We can actually feel that we are more deserving of God's love. We deserve it because we're better than them, whoever them are. It could be a race. It could be a culture. It could be. And, and there, there is this attitude. Listen, is, a, is the United States a beautiful and incredible place to live? Absolutely. Do we have a lot of great things going? Absolutely. But I'm concerned when I see Christians saying, we are God's blessed nation. God blesses us and loves us more than all the other nations on the earth. I am kind of concerned when we make a statement like that. I think we're like one of the brothers or one of the sisters in the family saying, God, mom and dad love me best. I wonder if the believers in China who have been had to go underground for the last number of years to even worship God would agree with you. I wonder if our brothers and sisters in Africa would feel the same way. Um, I think that we need to be very careful that we don't allow nationalism and our own culture to drive us to a place where we think our culture is superior to every culture and therefore God must love us because we're so far ahead of everyone else. I think we need to be careful. The point is, and here's the problem, I think that we, we feel justified by our race and culture rather than the gospel. We think we're justified by our race and by our culture rather than the gospel. America is not God's, God's new holy nation. Do you know who, what is? The church. The church is. Not, not America. It's not about being a part of the greatest nation or whatever that is. It's about being part of God's new creation, the church. That's what God says. We are fellow citizens, it says in Ephesians 2.19, of God's people. 
We're fellow citizens of God's new of God's church. Now that's new people. We are to be the, the Bible tells us in first Peter two nine that we are to be a holy nation. That, that our our citizenship takes us a backseat to our, our our citizenship here on earth takes a backseat to our citizenship in heaven. Paul says in, in Galatians that we are citizens of heaven. And and, 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 and and those that are part of the church and they are of every different race and every different um, you, 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 uh, colored skin and, and, and all of that. We're all put together. And, and now it's, it's no longer that I'm Irish. It's, it's that I'm a citizen of God and I happen to be Irish. It, we, our identity changes. And our relationship to each other is in Christ is stronger than our relationship to other members of our racial or national groups. When you become a Christian, you're not primarily Anglo, African-American, Asian or Hispanic. You are a citizen of God's nation. You're part of his church. So you look at race very differently. What is the truth of the gospel? The gospel is able to see the beauty of all cultures, but it's also able to critique all cultures. It's able to say there's beautiful things happening here in the United States, but there's also some some bad things going on in our culture. It's able to go to the African continent and say there's some beautiful things happening there. There's some awful things going on there. It's able to go to Asia and other parts of the world and do the same thing. But the gospel will not allow us to feel morally superior towards others because it tells us that every culture, every person is bankrupt and morally corrupt apart from the grace of God. The phrase I use from time to time is the the ground is level beneath the cross. Every person on this planet is made in the image of God, but every person on this planet needs the gospel needs the cross, needs the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Without that, we're dead. The gospel shows us that we are all saved by grace alone, through Christ alone, by faith alone. The gospel requires us to look closely at our culture, not allowing ourselves to feel superior. The gospel calls us to be civil, respectful, and tolerant to all people groups, all cultures, races, and religions. The gospel will not allow us to feel superior because we are sinners Saved by grace. You see, what Paul is not telling us, he's not saying, here's how you need to act morally in this area of race. That's not what he's saying. What he's telling us is that we, what he told Peter is, the problem you're having is you're not acting in line with the gospel. You're not understanding the implications and the application of the gospel. Because if you understood that, you wouldn't behave the way you are. The gospel continually needs to be thought out and applied to our lives and culture. We need to bring everything in line with the gospel. I love what Tony Evans says. He's a black pastor and he says this. Black is only beautiful if it's biblical and white is only right if it agrees with the Holy Writ. Unless we subject our humanity to Christ's deity, we are a failed people of God. And he's right. Paul's response to Peter was this. God did not have fellowship with you based upon your race or your culture. In fact, you go back to the Old Testament, you say, well, why did God choose the nation of Israel in the first place? Well, he tells us. 
He says, he says, I, is, he's talking to the nation of Israel. He says, I didn't choose you because you were the biggest nation or the best nation. I chose you because I chose you. It's like, okay, that clears it up. The point is, you had nothing to do with it. It wasn't like I looked at you and said, oh, I want you. It's just, I chose you. Sovereign choice. Paul was showing Peter, and he's showing us that the root of racism is a resistance to the gospel of salvation. That God graciously welcomed us, not based upon our race, not based upon our culture, um, or our righteousness. It was fully and completely based upon His grace. And we begin to think about that, and we understand that. Then we start looking at people differently. See, God was saying to Peter, and he's saying to us, you don't need the approval of these men, because you already have my approval. I already approve of you, because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. Let me give you a few practical steps. So, so, just to summarize, racism gets it wrong, especially for the Christian, because you don't understand the artist, and that we're created in the image of God. And when you criticize the art, you criticize the artist. And you don't understand the image of God. Secondly, race gets it wrong because you're not applying the gospel. You're thinking that you're better than another person because you happen to be of a certain race or you happen to be a certain color skin. When the gospel says, we're all sinners, we're all lost, we all need the gospel, and we all, the ground is level between the cross. It doesn't matter what the color of your skin is, doesn't matter what culture you're from, doesn't matter your race, you, we all need the gospel. We all need it. And we all get, to the, we all get uh, the, the same grace, and we don't deserve it. None of us deserves it. We're all sinners, and we all desperately need a Savior. But here's some practical steps to take to cure, help to cure racism. Number one, ask God to help you see people as he does. I think where we need to begin is we tend to look at where people are instead of looking at where they could be. You know, can you imagine uh, what... Some of you have stories, and you could tell stories. You could say, here's what I was B.C., before Christ, but here I am after Christ, and I'm a different person. If I were to describe my life before Christ, you would not believe me. You would say, there's no way that's who you are, because I know who you are now. And now, it's been 10, 15, 20 years, and God has been working in your life, and you're a different person. And so instead of looking and seeing where the person is right now, say, what could that person be if the grace of God got a, got a hold of that person? How would that person change? And how could... What could that person become? I think this was the basis of Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech, that we are all made in, in the image of God. Uh, notice what he writes. This is a part from that uh, I Have a Dream speech. He says, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin but the content of their character. In the Old Testament, when the prophet Samuel was looking for the next king, it was interesting, um, God, God told him the following. Here's what he said when uh, Samuel was looking for the, the next king. The Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see the things the way you see them. So the context here is that Jesse has all these sons. And Samuel was told to go to um, this house of Jesse and that one of Jesse's sons was going to be the next king. And so he started with the older one and he's you know, these boys, every, you know, from the oldest to the youngest. And look, you know, the first one says, oh, that's got to be the guy. No, it's not him. Oh, it must be him. Nope. They got through the whole house. And um, God says, no, you still haven't found him. And so he finally says, is there another son somewhere? 
there's this ruddy old little boy out in the field. Well, bring him in. And he brings David in. David is this ruddy little boy, probably stinking and smelling like sheep. God says, that's him. And I'm sure his brother said, what? (laughs) But notice what it says. Last part of uh, 1 Samuel 7, 16, 7. People judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at their heart. The Lord looks at their heart. Our culture says, judge people by how they look, by their, their race, by the color of their skin. And God says, I look at the heart. So that's number one. Number two, listen to others. Hear their heart. One of the main causes of prejudice is our failure to listen to people, to take time to listen, to hear them. Uh, Harper Lee wrote a famous book. He wrote a second edition, and it didn't turn. Uh, people weren't really super happy with it. But uh, he wrote To Kill a Mockingbird. And this is a, a famous quote from that book that many of you have heard before. You never really know a man until you understand the things from his point of view, until you climb into his skin and walk around in it. How often have we done that? And really, that's kind of essentially what we're suggesting in this series. Is it possible that we can sit down and listen and talk about some of these issues that divide us and show civility and tolerance and humility and have an opening ear and learn from this? We should have an attitude. It doesn't matter where he or she is from. All that matters is where he or she is going. We can learn from them, right? We can learn from them. There's not a person on this planet that you can't learn something from, that God can't teach you something. Here's the third thing. Ask God to fill you with his love so that you can love others as you are loved. uh, John says this. This is my commandment. Love each other the same way I have loved you. If you're having trouble loving someone, you've not come to grips with his amazing love for you. People who can't or won't love are not understanding how they have received his love. And, and I think that's really important. People who can't or won't love fail to understand his love for them. So we need to, we need to, we need to um, meditate on his love for us. See, God, I don't know why you would love me, but I'm glad you did. And I'm amazed by your love. In fact, I'm in awe of your love. I can't believe that you would love me and that you would send your son for me. I, I don't deserve that. I never des- deserve that. And, and when that begins to break your heart, you look at others and you say, there's another sinner just like me. We, we stop judging people and say, well, I'm better than you. Sam, I, I'm no better than you. I'm a sinner. The principle is this, that we are to love others as we are loved by him. See, for, for, for the world, and the world's going to go this way. The world is always going to de- struggle with culture. And, and it's going to struggle with race. It's going to be an issue. But not it shouldn't be. The, the church should be the, the, the one place where we get it right. Where we say, I don't really care what the color of your skin is. I don't really care what race you are. We're brothers and sisters in Christ because beneath the cross, the ground is level. And as you receive grace, so have I. We're both sinners. But now we're brothers and sisters and we're part of something bigger. I may be half Polish and half Irish and you may be from another thing. But you know what? 
First and foremost, I'm a child of God. I'm his son. You're his daughter. And we belong to this new thing called the church. We're part of his new kingdom. And we get that right here on earth. Because we will get it right in heaven. But wouldn't it be great to model that for a world that just doesn't understand it and doesn't get it? May we apply the gospel correctly to our culture. And our culture will see a light that they've never seen before. Stand with me and let's pray. Help us, Father, because without your help, we can't do this. We need your assistance and we need your help. It's not that we become colorblind. We celebrate our cultures. We celebrate uh, our, our, our countries of origin. We celebrate um, our races. But we see something bigger happening. That you're bringing us together to build your church, your kingdom. And that you are the king of kings and lord of lords. And that we are subjects to your kingdom. And that we've all received grace. And that's what binds us together. We don't look at others judgmentally because we know that everyone is made in the image of God and precious to you. We also know that if we apply the gospel correctly, Father, that we all are sinners and all in desperate need of a Savior. And it is only grace that gives us life. Father, I pray that as we leave this place this weekend, that... uh, We would see the world in a different light. We would see it from heaven. We would see it as people of your kingdom. And may we see the potential of what could happen in people's hearts when they come to you. Help us to deal with people in a a civil way, showing tolerance and humility and love. We ask this in Jesus' name.